Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. We're in a series titled, Who is This Jesus? Time of message is, when Jesus says hard things, hard things. Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Woo! Can I read it to you twice? I want to read a different translation. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You ever leave the house in an outfit and then you see pictures like a month later and you're like, how in the world did you allow me to leave the house looking like this? Anybody? You're like, I thought you loved me. I thought you would tell me if I looked like this. And the reality is, is that what the scripture is saying is that a great friend will tell you the truth, even if it will wound you for a second to save your life. But culture, it will give you a thousand kisses on the way to death and destruction. Man, you need a friend to wound you sometimes to save you. And can I just tell you the greatest friend is Jesus. He doesn't wound to hurt. He wounds to heal. He's like a great surgeon. He knows how to cut the right things out and leave the right things. Uh, just like John 15, I told him last week, if you allow the, word, uh, the, the Lord to actually cut some things away, ooh, the life you could have. I got a couple just intro thoughts with this. We need a faithful friend to wound us when we're about to make a bad decision, a bad decision. Show this first pick. You would think that somebody say, this is not a good idea. The reality is, is that nobody told them it was a bad decision. They survived. Don't worry. Next, uh, next one. Check this video out. This is a guy dressed like a zebra in the Serengeti. I love that it took the zebra head. They survived. I want to see the video the next week where the lion is wearing the zebra head to hunt other zebras to look like a zebra. Hey, it's me. I'm a zebra. Um, you need a friend to wound you. We're about to make a bad decision. Now, and what I mean by that, of course, hopefully none of you would want to dress up like a zebra and go to the Serengeti, okay, or a safari. But a lot of you are going places you shouldn't go, and your friends say, stop going there. Hey, I get it. Your past life, you used to go to that place and hang out. You used to do those things. You used to hang out with those people. But I'm going to be your friend. It's a bad decision. Don't do it anymore. You need a friend to tell you some truth to save your life. Another one is uh, we need a faithful friend to wound us when we're allowing our feelings to lead us. I love Joe's ministry time that faith is not a feeling, but it's a choice. You know, I've been traveling a lot, hanging with a lot of pastors. And man, there are, like I said last week, there, you know, pastors be climbing mountains. There's just so many achievers in ministry. Like everybody relax. Jesus conquered it all. He achieved the greatest stuff. We don't have to achieve those things, okay? Relax. Well, I was around another guy who was an achiever and he's like, you know, I just feel like I wanted to learn how to fly. And so he started becoming a pilot. And I was like, you pastor church and you're gonna be a pilot? And I was like, just relax, man, you know? Just get some simple activities, golf once a week, hit the gym once in a while, have some friends, that's a good life, okay? That's how I achieve, okay, anyways. Um, so he's telling me about flying and, and basically uh, he, had, um, he was certified for VFR, visual flight um, reading, so he could fly when it was like great conditions and you could look at the horizon and his visuals, but he wanted to become IFR, instrument flight rated. An instrument flight rating, you got to go through like 50 hours, you know, cross country. You got to fly through storms and clouds. And he shared this story with me about uh, one of the first storms he was in. Uh, he started 
plunging the plane to their death. In his body, he felt like he was saving him and his teacher, and he felt like he was pulling up, but he was actually pushing down. And the teacher's like, this is the guy's name was Darren. Darren, what are you doing? You're plunging us to our death. And Darren's like, no, no, I'm pulling us up. He's like, no, Darren, you are, go look at the instrument. Don't go by feeling. You have to look at the instrument. You are losing altitude. Pull up, go against everything in your being. Your being saying go down, but actually I need you to pull up right now. And the world has taken the instrument of truth and thrown it out of life. And said, I don't fly by truth. I don't, I, whatever I feel like, if it feels good, I do it. And the reality is if you fly by feelings, it's interesting, when you fly by feelings, on a clear day, it's easy to fly by feelings. But when you fly by feelings and you have your first storm, life and death is on the line. I want to share a quick story even to really drill this point in. Uh, Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, showed this story a long time ago, but it never left me. Uh, he talked about the importance of forgiveness. And the title of my message today is when Jesus says hard things. When Jesus says hard things, because he's the friend that will wound you. Not to say hard things, just to say hard things, but to actually save you. And he talks about this one hard saying that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18 that says that if you don't forgive, you'll be left to torment. That like forgiveness, if you don't forgive, you don't get forgiveness. Like, like it's one of, the, one of the hardest things that Jesus says in all the gospels. It's just about forgiveness. And so he talks about discipling these, these two women who are going through a tough time in the marriage. And both of them have husbands. And he goes on to be really, um, you know, frank that one is a terrible husband and one's just kind of bad. Like one's kind of missing it. And the other one's totally missing it. And as Tim Keller is meeting with them, they ask for them to pastor. And so like a good friend, he says, one of the first things you need to do is you need to forgive your husband. Now the woman who had the terrible husband forgave her husband and started loving her husband and forgave him. And because of that, he said he watched their marriage get rebuilt and watched him change in front of his eyes. And they were in the church. It was an amazing thing to see. Now the other lady who was married to the husband that he was missing the mark here and there, she would not forgive. And he said he watched her become a bitter, angry woman and their marriage explode. And simply put, she said, I just couldn't feel it. I can't feel There's no way that's the right thing to do. She couldn't, because she couldn't feel it, she wouldn't do it. And the reality is, is some of you, your feelings are holding you back from life and they are plunging you to death. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Does he know it's Mother's Day? Did he not check the calendar? Um, I got to share one more story just to give you just a, uh, I, I feel like this is going to be so important for people here. Um, you know, this last week I was, last Tuesday, Wednesday, I was around a pastor and this pastor I've been around, I've met once, um, you know, seen him, you know, in ministry and he's just one of the joyful, most joyful people I've ever met. And, you know, he's, you know, he's late fifties or early sixties. And I found out the story about him this last week that I had no idea this is actually the, the way his life was playing out. So when he was a little kid, his dad decided to leave uh, their family and he knew that his dad was packing up to leave. And so he went out to his dad's car, took a little post-it note and wrote, I know you don't love mom anymore, but will you stay for us? I love you, dad. And he put that note on, his, on the steering wheel of his dad's car. Dad goes out of the car, gets in the car. He stands outside the car. He sees his dad read the note. His dad rolls down the window, crumbles up the note and throws it at him and drives away. Doesn't see his dad for over a year. And he was being interviewed about this recently and saying, like, how, how did you get through this? And he said a handful of things that really, really stuck with me. One is, if Jesus said it, I'm going to do it. Second one is simply this, is he goes, I had to decide what I wanted written over my heart in my life. Do I want wounds written over my heart or do I want Jesus to write over those things? Or do I want his name and his love and his peace? And because of that, if you met him, you would never know that he had that kind of childhood. 
And the reality is, is that if you are going to live in this world for even a year, you cannot live by feelings. You have to live by truth. Can I get an amen? Amen. Third thing you need is you need a faithful friend to wound you so you can have all that God has for you. Let me say it this way. We need a faithful friend to wound us so we can inherit all God has for us. It's a famous uh, quote. It's been around for a handful of years now. It says this. My grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover. My grandson is going to ride a Land Rover. But my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. They asked him, why, why is that? Why, why do you say that? He goes, hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. Woo! Woo! You clap for that. Now let's bring that to the church. Man, when the church is being persecuted, it's exploding. You look throughout the earth right now. People are, um, 75,000 plus are dying a martyr's death for the gospel. In China, it's illegal to um, be a Christian and they're doing underground church and the church is exploding. I mean, they love the Lord. It is an amazing thing. You go to America, people are like, yeah, I go to church. Let's go. If, if you don't have the word of God shaping you, cutting you and freeing you, you will become a parasite in church instead of a life-giving person in church. That's, that's some tough text, today. Can I amen for that? We become self-centered consumers instead of self-sacrificing servants. And, and what, what, what scripture does and what Sunday does every Sunday when you hear the scripture is it goes into your soul and it sets you free from selfishness, sets you free from your flesh, and it makes you everything you're supposed to be. Come on now. The only way that happens if, you're allow, allow, if you allow the Lord to say things to you that you never let anybody else say to you. But not only that, you would receive and say, God, if you said it, I'm doing it. Can I get amen for that? Amen. So that's just my intro. We're not even the message yet. Um, so I, I want to kind of unpack uh, kind of the, the last thought here. Um, hard sayings, hard scripture, tough text. They got to be massaged. You got to process them. You know, scripture is interesting. There are some scriptures that I call, they're like the filet mignon verses. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you are plans for hope and a future to prosper you. Ooh, come on. Do we like that verse? It's like flaming out. When you read it, like, nom, 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 that's delicious, you know? You got, a, you got an Ephesians uh, verse. Uh, it says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things. He planned for us long ago. Nom, 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 like, you can just read it. You don't got to process. You just want to chomp down. I'm like, ooh, that makes me feel good today. Can I get an amen for that? Let's do one more flaming on. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. Nom, 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 nom. I mean, I will chew this. I'll be in Ephesians like, oh my gosh, it's such a good verse. Mm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nom, 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 nom. You know, uh, I mean, over and over again, there's all these flaming on verses. I love the flaming on verses. But then you got PB and J verses. It's called Leviticus. Don't trim your beard. Don't do, and you're like, what is, you got to like kind of like got to study a little bit. Like, oh, okay, I get it now. I, it's, it's good for me because all scripture is bread. All scripture is life. But some is filet, some is PB&J. But some is also like a jawbreaker. It's like a hard candy. You just can't read and go, like, ah! like you bust your tooth, you know. You'll break yourself. And, and what I mean by that is I'll never forget, I get saved, um, start going to church at 16, and they give me a soap journal. And on the third day, this is the verse I read in my soap journal. It's in Matthew 7. Now, everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, uh, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, 
I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. It's my third day. <laughs> I've been put on notice. Uh, okay, all right, God. Like, and so every Sunday for a year, I am raising my hand to get saved. I don't, want, I don't want you to say you never knew me. Please, please let me in. Please let me in. I love you. I love you. And so I would raise, so every, my back in my car, my Nissan, Maxima, I had 52 Next Step CDs that were given to me every Sunday because they would say, close your, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes and raise your hands. But then the, the ushers would always be peeking and then they would hand out the CDs and not lifesavers, life saviors. And so I, I mean, you needed some lifesavers. I got a ton in my car because I raised my hand over and over again. And then I finally found out what it meant. Jesus was going hard at religion. He was saying, religious people who live for religion and do things in my name in a religious way, I'll say I never knew you because it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I thought to myself, oh, I like the verse even better now. It was like Jesus makes a hard saying. He speaks truth and he's trying to scalpel away religion from the church and say, if you get in a religious rhythm, I don't know you. But if you get in a relational rhythm, I know you. I remember this, uh, you know, this little saying from um, the, the Princess Bride. And it was this, uh, you know, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to live. Well, he would say this also in one of my favorite quotes. And he goes, you keep on saying that, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And the guy goes, you know, he's like, the guy falls down a cliff and he's like, inconceivable. And he goes, you keep on saying that. I don't think it means what you think it means. And I'm here to tell you, there's a handful of verses. You think the verse means that, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And if we could go on a journey today, if we could go through scripture today and we could have Jesus say some hard things to us because he doesn't, again, he doesn't want to hurt you today. He wants to heal you today. And so the two points I want to just kind of uh, camp out on is the two things that the Lord's going to um, say some hard things to, but he's going to heal us from is I'm coming for your selfishness and your shame. Oh, shame. He's going to scalpel away shame today. If you will allow him to scalpel away shame from your life, ooh, what kind of life could you have? Let's go, the first one. When Jesus deals with our shame, when Jesus deals with our shame, Mark 1, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Something about knowing where to go to get saved, something about knowing where to go to be restored. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Stop. This culture that Jesus is ministering in is known as an honor and shame culture. Now, to really understand what that means is it would be like all of us in this room. You got about 500 people and you um, have a village and we all live within three miles of each other. So we know everybody's stuff and everybody's business and what everybody does. Like, you know, you go to church and you're like, I wish they knew my name. Like this, this church knows your name and they know your junk. They know your kid's junk. They know everything. So the culture was so focused on living a life of honor because once you lost your honor, you lost your, your ability to trade goods and to live life among the people you're going to see every day for the rest of your life. So the way you lived your life brought honor to your family or brought shame on your family. The way your kids were raised brought honor to your family or shame on your family. If your kids were really terrible, the rule was actually just stone them to death because shame cannot live in this culture. So this is the, the, the type of honor and shame culture. The way you responded to people was a big deal. Oh, if you responded like quick or anything like that, ooh, shame on your life. So if you honked a horn in, uh, you know, if you had like a camera, like honk, shame. Like, like it's a big deal. You respond well in honor and shame culture. The biggest thing that would bring shame on you and of course the people that knew you is if you got leprosy. 
It was seen as a curse. It was seen as something that you did. You did something on the inside, so it infected your outside. And leprosy would just start as a spot. And then it would start attacking the joints and then eventually the nerves to where you become numb. It would attack, attack the lungs. It hurt to breathe. It attack your eyes. And eventually attack your whole body, and then you would die. And so if you got leprosy, you were instantly, boom, shame on my life for the rest of my life. But not only shame on your life, there are new rules for a person who lives in shame. If you're going to live in shame, here's what we need you to do if you're going to be a shameful uh, person with leprosy. You need to live outside of relationship. Isolation is the first thing that's given. Isolation. Can I tell you real quick, there's a study that came out last month. One in two people in America right now are isolated. We are an epidemic of loneliness. And loneliness, they said, is worse than uh, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. It is deathly to be isolated. And one of the reasons why people are isolated is they don't know how to have a great relationship because they're afraid to have a relationship with people because they think if they do bring their life into a, a village of people, they're going to be judged instead of loved. Not at Mission Church, amen? So anyways, you have lepers that are thrown out and the rule is that you have to live in isolation and then you have to be at least 50 paces away from a person. The original social distancing. Not six feet, 50 paces. I mean, I, I, I'm an extrovert. I would hate this. Um, so not only if you have 50 bases, but if you're going to move anywhere and you're going to come close to people, you'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean. You would have to like bring attention to shame. So shame is not something that you have. Shame is actually who you become. Not only that, they thought that uh, leprosy caused your limbs to explode off your body. They didn't, but they attacked your nerves. And this is graphic, but I need you to understand the intensity of this, that when the person would go to sleep, an animal would gnaw away at their whole arm and they'd wake up and they'd lose their whole arm because they didn't feel anything because their nerves were destroyed. So this, this, is, this is the gravity of leprosy. And then if, if somebody with leprosy who was unclean touched somebody who was clean, that person who was clean would now become unclean. So this man breaks all the rules. He doesn't go by the culture rules, counterintuitive, the VFR, he doesn't go by flight rules. He goes by faith. He goes, I'm going to go against everything. I'm going to go counterculture. I'm going to sprint to this man. I'm going to fall at his feet and say, if you are willing, would you heal this leprosy that has made me not just have shame, but has made me shame. And Jesus stretches his hand out. And this is, again, just like when you know like a friend, uh, a friend that loves you, that's not wounding you to hurt you, but wounding you to heal you, you don't flinch when they bring their hand out. When a surgeon brings his hand out, you're not flinching. You know that they've been trained for this moment. I've had friends who had pets, and it's amazing. If a dog's ever been kicked or, or, or hit, and you reached your hand out, a dog responds in a certain way. And, and some of you, you respond to the Lord in a way when he's going to reach his hand out like he's going to hurt you. He's not here to hurt you. He's here to restore you. And so I uh, got to talk to one of my buddies, pastors uh, in our area, in the city. Pastor's a great church, and he's taking 100 people uh, through a discipleship program right now. And I asked him, like, how's it going? He's like, he's like, it's the greatest thing we've ever done for our church. So much so to where, like, you know, you learn from everyone by copying no one. I was like, you know, I'm processing our calendar August through December. Like, maybe we can go on a journey of, you know, discipleship stuff together. And, and I'll teach Wednesday nights for it. Like, I'm processing, like, how do I get people to take that next step even to really become everything God called them to be? I'm always processing that as, as your pastor. And um, I said, what are some things that just jumped out of you? He goes, shame. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, Nine in 10 men are struggling with pornography and seven in 10 women were struggling with pornography. We had them answer some hard questions and they had no avenue on how to get rid of it. No avenue where to bring it. I want you to think about that real quick. I want to show you some pictures. Uh, check out this first pic real quick. So Rachel, 
about a month ago, looked at me while we were watching TV and she goes, Tyler, I want us to watch Shark Week. For, it was like advertised. Shark Week comes in like, you know, a month. And we're just like, I want us as a married couple to watch Shark Week for the first time together. It's like, it's like declaration, you know? And I was like, plus 10 cool points for the wifey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's an easy ask. Like, I'll watch Shark Week with you. So, so she wants to watch Shark Week. What I found out is uh, this um, photographer, Andy Cassegrave, I think his name is, he is an Emmy Award-winning photographer, gets the greatest pics of great whites. Most people, when great whites are around, they get in a cage and they take the pic. But Andy Cassegrave, he wants the pic. So he jumps in with the great whites and takes pics like this. Here's another one. That's an amazing one. Now, here's this last one. He took this one also. Could you imagine taking that picture for Shark Week? So Rachel and I can eat some popcorn. And like, he's doing such a good job, you know. Um, I want the good pick, you know. Um, they asked him, Andy, what, what do you do? Like, what would you do if a great white starts swimming at you? What do you do? And he says, I swim right at him. He goes, great whites have no pre- uh, predators, basically killer whales to an extent, but they, they, they don't ever get chased. So whenever they swim at something, that thing swims away and they instinctively go prey and they kill it. He goes, so when they swim at me, just like that picture, I swim right at them and it disorients them and it saves my life. Let's go back to this text again. Everything in your flesh, everything in culture, tells you to take your shame and justify it or hide it and share it with nobody. But scripture says to do counter to that and to swim towards the shark. To literally say, I'm going to bring the one thing that, it's just like that flight rules, like, like I just don't feel it. But if you would bring it to the feet of your savior, if you would bring it to somebody that you know that loves you and says, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I got. And if you would come to God and say, if you are willing, and if you know the text, he says, I am willing. Now, now let, let's, let's keep going. You're like, Tyler, I thought this was hard sayings of Jesus. This is just a man with leprosy. Oh, I'm coming for you right now. You ready? Okay, here we go. Um, here comes a hard saying. Matthew 5. Uh, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means empty-headed fool, uh, is answerable to the court. So basically, if you ever honked at somebody and called them stupid, you commit murder. Uh, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Like, Dang, that's a lot, Lord. He, like, he just keeps preaching. He goes on to say, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. So you have Jesus unpacking these unbelievable teachings. And the Pharisees would teach this. Lust away, just don't sleep with her. Hate away, just don't kill him. So the bar and culture from the Pharisees was just no murder, but you can hate like crazy. No adultery, but lust like crazy. And so Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to abolish the Jewish law. I came to create the fulfillment of the law. And the fulfillment of the law is this. If you even have a thought, it was translated today, it would say, if you ever walked by a Victoria's Secret, you have committed adultery. If you're in junior high and high school, ooh, Tyler, that's too intense. Oh, stop it. We all, I mean, any person who's been alive basically has, has committed adultery. What do you do then? Why would he say this? What is he saying? Let me go back to what I've been teaching. Leprosy starts with a spot, and it attacks the nerves, and it creates death. Sin starts with a thought, 
and it creates spots on your soul and your heart. And then it spreads and attacks the nerves and then creates death. Do you see the picture? What he's trying to say, you all got spiritual leprosy. And the only one that ran up to me to be made well was the one that could see it physically. But I want you to see it spiritually. You got spots on your heart. Let me read you a verse real quick. I'm going to double down. I'm going to give you one more hard text. Uh, Jeremiah 17. The human heart is the most beautiful thing in the world. Pass it on. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I've been traveling a lot, like I said, and so I got a lot of illustrations from traveling, forgive me. Uh, but we were in uh, Louisiana. I got to go to New Orleans for a day and a half. First and last time. Hated it. Anyways, okay. Least favorite city I've ever been to. Shots fired, but I mean it. Okay, anyways. Um, if you're watching New Orleans, work on it. Okay. Um, so um, one of the things you got to do when you're in New Orleans, you got to go see alligators. So we went on a gator tour. And so, like, we literally had, I mean, like, this guy was, like, from, like, Louisiana. Like, he's, like, been doing this his whole life. He's, like, he knew all the alligators. Like, oh, here's, um, here's uh, Esther, the, the, the alligator. Like, he knew all the names of each one where they lived in the wild. He'd, like, pet them. One of them tried to bite his hands. Like, don't you bite me. And he, like, slapped it on the head. I'm, like, where am I right now? Am I in the movie Waterboy? You know? So, so I mean, just, like, having the best time. And, and here's what you learn if you've ever been in Louisiana or Florida. If there is any type of water. A puddle this deep, a lake this big, or a huge water this big, assume there's an alligator in it. They're like, oh, it's a small lake. I can just go swimming. It's all good. No, no. Assume that there is an alligator that can destroy you. And what this is saying, I don't care how big the heart is, how small the heart is, how old the heart is, how long the heart's been following the Lord. You need to know something. Assume there's some spots on that heart. Assume that there needs to be some healing some truth to scalpel the spots away. And Jesus is saying, if you will let me deal with your shame, if you'll come up to me and say, if you are willing. I got old shame. I got last week's shame. I got today's shame on me. I don't got time for your shame, to be honest. And what I mean by that is, I'll be driving around. And out of nowhere, Something I did 10, 20 years ago just starts playing like a reel in my head. And I feel pure shame over my life. And I'll say things like this. What was I thinking? How could I be so stupid? God, how could you still use me after those decisions I made? And when those things start to become the soundtrack of my mind, I had to swim towards the shark, if you will, do everything counter my being because I feel like I need to pay penance for almost. almost. I almost feel like I got to make myself feel bad about it again. And the reality is scripture tells me the opposite. It says that he forgot my sins as far as the east is from the west. I have this verse that I've been, I've been reading to myself recently. It's an everyday kind of thing I've been trying to digest. It says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This is you swimming towards your Savior. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might, everybody say might, that we might become the righteousness of God. And the might is simply this, that, Lord, I actually have an opportunity today. If I come to you every day and stop, stop at your feet and say, I have no idea what deceitfulness is in here. But your scripture says that this thing is just, it is messed up. And, and if you could just heal me of the things and the spots and the thoughts, Lord, because here's what happens. When you don't deal with a thought, when you don't deal with a rhythm of starting to go down that road, it starts to numb the nerves of your soul. 
And then you wonder why you made a decision like that. You're like, how could I have done that? Like, that's just not who I am. You've numbed the nerves of your soul. That's why the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who feel uh, pain and sorrow over sin again because they're not gonna have, let's go to the intense picture real quick. Uh, the animals that would chew off the limbs of the body. Sin and the enemy wants to literally chew away at your life and steal things from your life and you don't even feel it because you're so much in sin that you're numb to it and your marriage is being gnawed at, your, your life is being gnawed at, your identity is being gnawed at, everything's being gnawed at and the Lord's saying, if you wake up, you say, no more, I don't, I don't stand there anymore, I won't allow that anymore in my life. So that's Jesus dealing with our shame. Now when Jesus deals with our selfishness, our selfishness. Uh, Mark 10, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now if you know anything about this guy, he has the trifecta. He has got money. He's rich. It says he's a ruler. He's got power. It says he was young in culture. He was, uh, he, he was um, good looking. So he had looks, power, and money. He had the trifecta. He had a lovely life. But as you can tell, he still sprints to the Savior because he was lacking in something. I love over and over again that culture tells on itself, it will never satisfy your soul. Verse 18, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love that the text puts it in. I love the Holy Spirit illuminates that. He loves him. And because he loves him, he's not going to kiss him to his destruction. He's going to try to tell him truth that will wound him to save him. And here's what he says. There's still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. A lot of people, if you read this text, it's like a jawbreaker. Like, you just can't bite into it. Like, oh my gosh, okay, if, if I got to follow God, I got to become poor. And people become minimalist over this verse. They, they're like, okay, we have to be minimalist. We're not allowed to enjoy anything. Money's bad. Money's actually amoral. It's not good or bad. Uh, it says in 1 Timothy 6 that the root of uh, all evil is the love of money. Not money, but the love of money. Money's amoral. Like, being, I, I grew up on food stamps. Man, people who are poor, just as deceitful and just as greedy. We just don't have money to be greedy with, Okay. Um, so money don't make you greedy. Greedy is a spirit. All right. So, so, so uh, some of the greatest people I know, generous people I know have been well off and financially rich. And so he's not, he's not attacking finances here. He's trying to scalpel out this man who has found his complete identity in his success. And so he has to take not some of the tumor out. He says, I need to take all this out. If you actually want to have a new identity, a new life, you can't bring your old kingdom into the new kingdom. Cause the reality is, is you don't own stuff. Stuff owns you. And I want to set you free of that stuff. You don't have possessions. You are possessed. And so, so he tells us, man, I need to go. Because you're like, well, what about, like, look at, this is a story from Luke 18 also. And Luke 19, uh, Zacchaeus gets saved. And he goes, Lord, if I have cheated anybody, I'm going to give half of my wealth away. And the Lord goes, truly, salvation has come to his home. Only half his wealth. The Lord goes, no, I want all. Sometimes it's like a, a, a little bit here, a little bit here. It's, it's, it's never a number thing. It's always a spirit thing. And so, he goes and says, I want you to give everything that you have, uh, and then uh, come follow me. At this uh, moment, the man's fan, uh, face fell face down, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. No, he didn't have many possessions. Many possessions had him. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There's a hard saying right there. The disciples were astounded. This is what I said. 
then who in the world can be saved? I love this. I was like running, pulling punch, like, hold on a second, Jesus. We know that guy. He's one of the best dudes we know. He's a great guy. He don't sin. He's nice to everybody. You know, he's, he's even, he's good looking. You know, like, like he does everything, but he didn't do that one thing. So like, who can be saved? And I think it's a fair question. And Jesus looked at them intently and said this, humanly speaking is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. I'm going to just do two points on having your way. The cold hard facts about money and the effects of money. And then how do we solve this problem of selfishness and sin? Like, what's the remedy? So the cold hard facts about money, we hear it right there. It says it's, it makes it very difficult to enter the kingdom of God if you have riches. It was going to be, it's going to be a, not, you know, like there's like easy tests and hard tests. Riches is a hard test. It's not an easy test. It's going to be a hard test. You know, it's like two plus two. Four. That's an easy test. 17 times 26. It's going to take some time for you to do that in your head or do it on some paper. And riches is a harder test. It's, it's, you have to unwind more stuff. You have to, you have to um, speak scripture more over your life and understand your identity more. You have to find your peace. Because really what the spirit of money is, it's, the Bible calls it the spirit of manna. Uh, if you didn't know this, that 11 of the 39 parables, Jesus talks about money. For every time Jesus talks about sex, he talks about money 10 times more. Uh, one every seven verses, he talks about money. Because he knows the effects that money has on you and he needs to show you the reality of what money could be in your life. It is a huge test that you must pass. That's why he always uses the term, be a great steward, be a great steward. Everything I have, it's not mine, it's all the Lord's. And so, so you just, even your mindset around it. He says this in Luke 16. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. And so he basically lays the, the gravity of the situation. So if you live in the Bay Area, you're rich. Some are richer, some are less rich. But in the world standards, we are top 5% in all the world. Because rich isn't just money, it's, man, our calendars are so full of junk. So full of the world's kingdom. I, I, I didn't say this first service, I'm going to say second service. When I moved up here, something everybody told me is, hey, it's an amazing area, but it's a different area. They vacation more. They have houses up there. So they're going to be in and out of your church. They're more transient. And I was like, oh, we'll see what happens. They were right. <laughs> the reality is when you have money, you have options. Do I go to church Sunday or do I go to Monterey Sunday? Do I go to church Sunday or do I go to wherever, you know, Sunday? Like that's the reality when you have the temptation of you can do a lot of different things. So let's look at the effects of money real quick. The effects of money. So, um, when we moved up here a little over 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, uh, I didn't have really bad allergies. At least I didn't think I did. Like we lived in LA. LA has smog and cement. And I was doing just fine fighting off smog and living in cement concrete jungle, okay? Then we moved up here. I remember going golfing one day and my eyes were almost swollen shut. My nose is congested. And I was like, I think I got allergies. You know, and my, my buddies I was golfing, they're like, you think you have allergies? Bro, you got allergies. And so I remember going to the grocery store and buying Benadryl is the only thing I could think of. And, and, um, and the reality is, is, you know, the box like for like a Tylenol says, take one Tylenol. I'm 6'4", 200 pounds of steel. I mean, I need to take two, not one, okay? Don't judge me. It's a terrible joke. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And I know I'm not steel. Okay. It is what it is. One day. Okay. Anyways. Um, but so I'm like, okay, one Tylenol, I take two Tylenol. Just because you know, I'm a bigger dude. Uh, so uh, it said one Benadryl. I was taking two Benadryl. So for five days, I'm just popping Benadryl. I'm like, oh, my allergies are going away. I was a little groggy, but you know, I'm, I'm fighting through it. Day five, I wake up at 9 a.m. And I tell Rachel, I'm like, I think I just need to sleep a little bit more. And I was like, 
I pass out. Then it, it's noon. And Rachel's like, Tara, you want to get up? It's noon. I was like, I think I just need to sleep a little bit more. <laughs> Fell asleep. And then it gets like, like 3 p.m., 6 p.m. And Rachel's like, I don't think you're okay. Like, what, 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 what's wrong with you? Like, what happened? And I was like, I was taking a lot of Benadryl the last five days. Like, and like a, a whole empty box of Benadryl, you know? <laughs> and, you know, we have a doctor friend text him. You know, I basically OD'd on Benadryl. I roofied myself for 24 hours. Like, <laughs> you know, like, night, night, I'm out. I had no idea that was the effects of Benadryl. It's funny that it says wealth makes you sleepy. That literally in the book of Timothy, it's deceitful and it will choke you out and it will make you a little groggy and a little more groggy into where you pass out to the kingdom of God and the goodness of God and you start living for the kingdom of this world. That's what wealth, that's the effects of wealth on your life. Let me, let me, let me uh, uh, put it this way. Um, Money blinds you, the, not just money, the love of money blinds you to the kingdom of God. Andrew Wall, he's a, he's a, he's a Princeton theologian, and he did this study basically on just how the church is exploding right now. And in the Southern Hemisphere, they went from 1% to 50% in Africa. South America, it's exploding. Parts of Asia, it's exploding. And the reality is, is he looked at the income of those areas and what they had to compete with the gospel and the other areas where the gospel is just shrinking like this. And simply put, when you go to somebody and they don't have their own personal kingdom that they've built, it's very easy for them to enter the kingdom they've heard of. But when you have the kingdom of self, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of riches, the kingdom of looks, and he says this verse, I'm about to worship you come up, we'll finish up. He says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you know that, that text, and there's you know, di- different you know, theories on it, but there actually was a real wall uh, the wall of Jerusalem, and there was a real gate called the Eye of a Needle. And for a camel to fit through that uh, spot, it had to take off all its, its, its things, its little uh, saddle, everything, and had to literally get its legs down and had to squeeze through that little gate to get into Jerusalem. And what Jesus is trying to say, and what this text shows us, is this man was so blind to the kingdom of God that he wasn't seeking the kingdom of God. It was like a lot of people come to church. You know what I need? My life is lacking. I like what I built. I like my life, but I just need to add one more thing here. I'm going to go get me a Jesus and put him in my pocket and be on my way. I'm going to invite Jesus to come to my kingdom. I'm not going to say yes to his kingdom. And so the eye of a needle illustration is this. You have some things packed. You need to drop them and enter because these things cannot come with you. Uh, When we were traveling uh, a few weeks ago, Rachel got in the car. She was like, kind of like cocky and arrogant about how well she packed her bag. She's like, I packed so good for this trip. And I was like... (laughs) Good job. I guess that's exciting, you know? And she, like, bought these, little, like, little, like, you know, things where you, like, you know, you, you put in each little separate container in her bag. And we get to the, uh, we get to the check-in thing, and, and we weigh her bag, and her bag's 20 pounds over the limit. I'm like, oh, you packed so good, did you? Now, me, I'm about 15 pounds under the limit. And so we have to put her stuff in my bag, and she puts a bunch of stuff in just like this throw bag. She looks like this big, like she got bags all over. She's like carrying bags. And then so her bag could actually go on the thing. It's interesting. Some of you think you've packed so well for this world. And your thing is so full, and the Lord's like, you got to empty it out. And could you imagine, Rachel and I, if we were going to Maui, and Rachel's like, they're like, sorry, ma'am, the bag's too full. You can't go to Maui if you don't empty it. And she's like, I just love my hair dryer too much. Bye. I just, these tank tops, I, I can't get rid of them. I'm like, sorry. 
Bye, Maui. I'm going home. I just love my tank top so much. You know, like that would be idiotic, yes? And what the rich man did is he brought his stuff. And the Lord's like, I just need you to get rid of your selfishness. You find your identity in the world. I need you to get rid of it. And if you would do those things, you would experience a kingdom you've never, ever known. But he took his bag and he went home. So how do we, how do we deal with this? What's the remedy? It's a very simple one. And I want you to catch it. It's, it's found in, forgive me, I lost my spot. Right here. It's found in Luke 12. It says, then turning to disciples, he said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to them than any birds. Some of you need to hear about your value today. Can all the worries uh, add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make anything, uh, make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all their glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Stop. It's this verse about goods and selfishness and trying to make sure that we have enough because the spirit of man promises you everything God can only give you. And his antidote is right in the middle of it. He just simply says this. He goes, don't be like the unbelievers. Here's what you have that unbelievers don't have. Your father. Jesus referred to God as father every single time in his ministry, except one time when he was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He basically lost his father so we could have a father. And one of the biggest reasons why we deal with shame and selfishness is that we think we graduate from our childhood and our relationship with God being our father. And if you would actually wake up every morning and you would bring your shame to your father that you know your father's always got your back, your father's always gonna redeem, your father's always gonna restore, you would deal with your shame differently. And if you knew your father was a provider, the father was the one that actually was gonna direct your steps and do way more than you ever could do, you wouldn't try to build your own house, you'd wanna live in that house. I'm praying that you get to see God in a different light this next season, that you would see a father that is ready to provide and redeem. Would you bow your heads? I don't know if it's your first time or second time in church, you ever said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to Jesus. The Bible is very clear there must be a response if you want to say yes to Jesus today. So on the count of three, if you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, yes to salvation. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes. Man, I want to live for Jesus. I want Jesus. If that's you on the count of three, raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three. Raise it up. I see you, and I see you, I see you, I see you, and I see you. I see you. A lot of hands today. Come on now. That's a great thing. We see a lot of hands. We can, we can clap for that. We can clap for that. I'm going to pray for you. God, would you use us this week? God, I come against shame. God, we all have stuff. We thank you that you're the one that gets rid of our stuff. Oh, Lord, we thank you is for freedom that you set us free. And God, I pray that we wouldn't live for the world this week, but God, we would live for the things that we know satisfy our soul, and that is the kingdom of God. Oh, we love you, Father. We love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. 
If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.